0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. And I'm so glad to be back here with you guys today. My father-in-law and our team and Pastor Justin and then uh, my guy from Charlotte, Justin Kinley and of course, David Husky, they did an incredible job handling the word, didn't they? Let's just thank them. Man, incredible job they did handling the word, sitting up under the weight of what it is to preach week in and week out, and just so grateful to be back. In fact, my father-in-law called me and said, hey, you know, really Connect Church has grown a lot since you've been gone. I don't know what he was implying, but anyway, but I am grateful to be back with you guys this morning. Uh, One of the things that we get to do at the first of every month, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I'm so excited about doing that with you today. We wanna to do it a little bit differently. Someone asked some guys to come out and they're gonna help me set the table this morning. And as I do, listen, the Bible brings us on scene to a lot of meal scenarios, right? I mean, can you imagine, there we go, keep coming brothers. Can you imagine being there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with a Jewish Lunchable, right? There's these so many incredible scenes in scripture, and the Bible really gives us a lot of insight to some meals. And man, these guys know how to set a table, don't they, right? The Gospel of Luke, we find seven meal scenarios. So let's see, uh, and honestly, my ministry assistant, Kelly, helped to set the table, and let's see how well she did, okay? Uh, as we come to the table this morning. Um, oh man, okay. Looks like she got us some fried chicken. And I'm gonna tell you, if you're gonna set the table in the South, You need some fried chicken, don't you? Amen. Amen. Listen, you need some fried chicken, and and this smells amazing. Uh, It looks like we have some biscuits, right? Gotta have the biscuits when you set the table. Here in the South, and she has done that. Uh, It looks like we have some mashed potatoes and gravy, which just make it all go down. Good, you know, and just settle up. And and then we have some mac and cheese, which by far is my favorite vegetable on the planet. And uh, I love mac and cheese. And... Here's where it gets a little weird. Um, it looks like she mowed her lawn and put some clippings in a bowl. I think these are collard greens. We don't allow these at my house. All right. In fact, those are just a little offensive. We're just going to cover that uh, so we don't have to look, make eye contact for that the rest of the day. Uh, let's get back to the goods. We have apple pie, which... America, right? Just America, right? Apple pie, America. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, I guess because I'm a pastor and a preacher, banana pudding. I mean, talk about a great fruit and vegetable together. All this in one in one. But Listen, she did a good job. It looks like for drink choices, we have uh, some sweet tea, which, I mean, just don't get better than that, sweet tea. Uh, it looks like somebody's trying to save my life. Um, this is unsweet tea which, how many of you in here like unsweet tea and are backslidden? Okay, I see the good, yeah. I, I married into that as well, should have put it in the prenup, but anyway, there is. I married into a family of unsweet tea drinkers, which just, why? <laughs> in fact, after 11 years of being married into it, I found the best way to, to drink unsweet tea, you ready? Here we go. Pour it in the trash, right? Just pour it right in the trash, the only way you can drink unsweet tea, because here's the problem, it's just terrible. Y'all ever gone to like Chick-fil-A or something, got to do a sweet tea, and for some reason, the antichrist inside, pours in their unsweet tea, tries to destroy your life? And all of a sudden you think you're gonna drink sweet tea and you got just dirty dishwater. It just rocks your world, right? But, but listen, we, we love our unsweet tea drinkers, we think, uh, man, because we have to. But anyway, listen, we set the table incredible this morning, but you know what, the table we're coming to is much different than a table that we would just set in the South. In fact, we kind of pushed this aside because the table we come to this morning wasn't really meant to even meet a physical need as much as it is meant to meet our greatest spiritual need, our greatest spiritual nourishment and desire for spiritual nourishment, that is Jesus Christ. So this morning as we come to the table, we do so a a much different table than maybe we'll sit down at supper here tonight. And that is a table that was meant for Jesus and that is celebrated by him. In fact, every first Sunday of the month, we come together, we come to this table and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the question is, is why? Why is it that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together? Why does the table of the Lord's Supper, why does it mean much more than banana pudding, right? Why does it much more than mashed potatoes and gravy and mac and cheese and biscuits and all the the goods we have up there? Why do we celebrate it? Well, hey, let me start here. First and foremost, because Jesus himself told us to do it. I don't know about you, but anything that Jesus says to do, I'm gonna do it. And anything Jesus says not to do, I'm gonna do my best not to do it. But we find in here, the very institution of the Lord's Supper, which commemorates The last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before his death on the cross and subsequently his resurrection from the grave is the very Lord's Supper. You go to Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22, and you find this celebration of the Lord's Supper instituted by Jesus. Now, if you were to go over in the Gospel of Luke, again, seven meal accounts in the Gospel of Luke that's displayed, but none more powerful none more poignant, none more impacting than the table we come to today. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus would say this, do this in remembrance of me. And hey, so church this morning, we do this and we do so gladly. We do so joyfully and we come to this table Obediently. Now, when we, we venture into the Lord's Supper one time a month at the first of each month, we oftentimes, in fact, every time we've done it, I have quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul talks with and addresses the church at Corinth concerning how they take the Lord's Supper. And here's what my hope is in our time together, that you and I will just camp out here in this passage, that we'll begin to unpack it so that, as we come to this table, I'm gonna take, my mouth is watering even as we're preaching. Like I'm having, I'm having to swallow more than I'm used to because it smells amazing. Anyway, so as we come to this table, that we can do so and leave so in worship and celebration of the very gospel that this table represents. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's begin in verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and we're gonna begin in verse 17. Now watch as Paul begins to address the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. And talk about starting on the wrong note this morning, right? He just jumps into this conversation. Listen, I I can't find anything. I can't find anything to praise you over when it comes to what I'm fixing to talk about. For your meetings do more harm than good. Now I wanna stop there just for a moment. I wanna say this, oh to God, that the day never comes in the life of Connect Church where our meeting together, whether it's on Sunday morning or a newly launched service coming on a Wednesday night or in our times in small group or our time on the mission field, oh to God that there would never be a time where our meeting together does more harm than good. Because when we meet together, we do so for two reasons. Number one, to the glory of God. Number two, to the good of every person who sits in the room and we gather together. But what happens so often is we get that mixed up, don't we? But we start working towards the good of just those who are sitting here and we forget or neglect the very glory of God. And what happens when that equation gets mixed up is is we begin to find that our meetings do far more harm than they do any good. And we find that here in the Corinthian church. And I wanna say this, If that day comes in the life of Connect Church, where our meetings do more harm than they do good, shut the doors. Move something else in here on Sunday mornings, something more productive than what we do, because we exist to the glory of God and to the good of everyone who comes in here under the sound of the gospel. Listen as Paul as he continues in verse 18. He says, in the first place, I hear that that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and to some extent, I believe it. I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. You know, what we're finding here in the Corinthian church, we are finding a church that is divided. The Lord's Supper was meant to bring about the glory of God and the good of those in the room, and we find that here in Corinth, it just wasn't playing out that way. And Paul, who in his writing you begin to see, he didn't, he didn't even want to believe the reports fully about the division that's taken place, but you know what he's willing to do? For the sake of the gospel, he's willing to take it head on when it comes to divisions in the church. Now watch what he says here in verse 19. Read with me, he says, no doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Hey, can I just stop right there and say this in the life of the church? Hey, differences are okay. Differences are a healthy part of any church, but let me tell you what's not healthy and what's not okay, and that's division. And we find that it's absolutely tearing up the heart and the life of the Corinthian church. Differences are okay and to be celebrated, divisions attack the very heart of what God wants to do through the life of his church. Let's continue to read here in verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you, Paul says to the church? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. You know, I wanna say it's important to note Paul does celebrate the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but before he does so, he corrects the selfishness and disunity that is brought to the table when the Corinthian church comes to the table. And I begin to look at this passage, and there's three things I begin to see that are at play, sins that are at work in the life of the Corinthian church. Here's the first one, you ready? There's a selfishness that's there. There's a selfishness that exists that says, my needs and my happiness are above and are foremost compared to anybody else's needs and happiness in their life. There was an extreme selfishness that lacked empathy for anybody else but themselves. I would you, it was alive and well in the church at Corinth. There's not only selfishness, but there was a self-indulgence. When people came together to the table to celebrate the Lord's supper, gluttony and drunkenness were taking place, which were both sinful and selfish and looked nothing like Jesus. And here's the third thing that was at play. There was self-importance, right? Those who had money would hold their own private parties to the exclusion of those who didn't. And it was killing the Corinthian church. And Paul was calling it out and he was correcting. I jotted this down. This looks nothing like the church, by the way. It looks more like a country club than it does a church. Because here's what we find when we come to this table, that as we come to this table and celebrate the Lord's supper, we are celebrating the most selfless sacrificial act in all of human history, yet even in the church, selfishness creeps in and seeks to destroy the work of God in building his kingdom. I also had this thought, as we come to the table this morning and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the most unifying, undertaking undertaking man has ever known, and yet even in the church, disunity and division seek to divide and conquer Anyone it can. Hey, so as we sit at the table this morning, can I share with you the greatest threat to your relationship and my relationship with the Lord? Can I point out enemy number one to your marriage and to your family? Can I unveil to you the culprits that is secretly destroying your relationships? Can I share with you and expose the death to joy, the rise in restlessness, and the loss of fulfillment in many a believer's life? You ready? It's found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul exposes it and shows it for the world. You ready? It's our selfishness. I'll be honest with you. If you've never been selfish in your life, let's switch places. Sometimes it's a daily battle for me. Sometimes I have a good couple days. But I'm gonna tell you, this foe, of selfishness destroys everything it touches. It seeks to blame everyone else for its problems, but never looks within to see the very heart of its own problems. In fact, Paul, to the Philippian church, he would say to the church at Philippi, I'd say this in Philippians chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, he says, any comfort from his love, if there's common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. And he says to the church, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. In humility, value others above yourself. Don't look only to your own interest, but consider or value the very interest of other people. And you know what we found in the Corinthian church? This was not a common practice. Their selfishness saw to that. And so my question is this morning, as soon we're gonna come to the table together, my invitation is come to the table. But how do we combat such threats as selfishness, self-indulgence, and self-importance? How do we combat such threats? You ready, church? It's, It's very simple. You wanna combat those threats? Come to the table this morning. Come to the table and sit with Jesus. Love on Jesus and grow in Jesus this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, probably a couple months ago, when we talked the Lord's supper and I went into biblically this foundation of the Passover feast that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating and ultimately how the Old Testament would shine light on the new and the New Testament would shine light on the old. And, and we went through the Passover semblance behind this. Today, we're, we're not going there. Today, we simply look at the practical implications that coming to the table this morning can play out in your heart and your life this week. The very practical nature of the Lord's supper. So here's what we learned from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You ready? That as we come to the table, we got to do so with a right heart. Hey, listen, as we come to this table, we gotta do it with the right heart. Look at verse 27. We're just gonna journey through scripture together. He says this, So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, let's stop right there. What does he mean? <laughs> like, what if I eat it and drink it too fast? What if I'm not dressed right? What if I don't do this right? It's not what he's t- He's not talking about style points. The unworthy manner, he's already uncovered. When we come to this table, and our life is circles around us, is all about us, and there's selfishness in our heart, that our greatest end is our own self-indulgence, that we have this self-importance, that it's when we come to the table with that, that we find the recipe for what it is to come in an unworthy manner. And he's calling that out, listen to what he says. He says, whoever comes in an unworthy matter will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. In verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. Let's stop there. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. That means this, for those who eat and drink and come to the table without a care for the body of Christ for the person who comes in their mission to tear down the body of Christ or they have no concern for the body of Christ. Watch what the Bible says. That they find themselves in a place where they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Look at verse 30. That is why so many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. No, used to stop here. Did you read that? Isn't that a little discerning? It wasn't a flu outbreak, right? It wasn't the salmonella poisoning at the church picnic, but some of them are sick and falling asleep is a nice way of saying dying. Why? Because of the selfishness that was running rampant in their hearts and in their lives. And I begin to think of that and I begin to go, wait a second. Maybe this is more than just going through the motions when we come to the table. Maybe there's really something to examining our hearts. Now, wait a second. If you're telling me, if I come to the table this morning and it's in an unworthy matter, I may die. I'm I'm not saying that, but you could. But, But you could. Because here's the deal. In no way does God want your death. He wants your life. He wants your life this morning. So, as we come to the table, we do so not to indulge in selfishness and self importance, because when we do so, we stand in contradiction to the most selfless act, the greatest demonstration of love of all time. And that's the very cross of Christ. Look at verse 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. You know what this is? This is a challenge and an invitation to come to this table with eyes not looking around at other people's sins, but eyes that look within and see the sin that lives within us. That's the invitation as we come to the table this morning. Look at verse 32. Nevertheless, When we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, Paul says. Even when we get sick, even when we go through struggle, even when we die because of our sin, God is at work disciplining those he loves. Hey, church, can I remind you something? I know the goodness of God when he performs miracles. I see the goodness of God in the great joys that I've known of my life. But I'm gonna tell you something, there is nothing sweeter than the love of God that is displayed when he disciplines me. When I'm under the discipline of God, I'm reminded he does so because he loves me so. Hebrews chapter 12, verse six, that God disciplines those he loves. And we have, we have churches that run as far as they can away from the discipline of God. And I just wanna encourage you to you come to the table if needed, embrace it. Because it's a reminder. I'm going to tell you something. I hate punishing my kids. I thought I would enjoy it more. I don't. Honestly, sometimes I'll, I'll have to pat one of my girls' hands because they've done something. And Aaron will tell you, for the next hour, I'm in therapy session with my wife. Just broke to pieces. I'm going to tell you, I, I hate it but I love them too much not to discipline the kids. And I think that's also true scripture would teach of the father and his great love for us. Look at this, we are being disciplined so that the Bible says, we will not be finally condemned with the world. In verse 33, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Hey, you know what, this is a great reminder of church. Hey, you know, mama, are you here? Where are you at mama? She's in the back, she's sleeping, I, I wake her up. Hey mama, remember when we'd eat the house, I had three brothers and, and my dad was a boy and mom was the only girl. And, uh, and, and when we'd eat the table, especially when we were younger, uh, mom would just get fed up. We'd be bickering or fussing or we'd be too loud at the table. And I'm gonna tell you, my mama had a go-to move. And this is the truth, mama. Literally, you'd just be eating there, trying to love Jesus, she, she'd go, with far more power than I could exert right there. So much so that not only did the table shake, the foundations of the earth shook. And I mean, I'd go, oh! it would just be one of those, it scared you to death, but you know what's amazing? I mean, she'd always get our attention. And I think right here, Paul wants to grab our attention. And he's saying, listen up. When you eat, you eat together. That doesn't just mean physically. That means spiritually, in heart and mission, and in worship, you eat together. I thought of this, hey guys, we're all on the same team. We're fighting the same enemy. We're working to save the lost by making much of Jesus. And at this table, selfishness has no place. When we come to this table, selfishness ought to be left behind. But for the Corinthians, it was not. And so what does Paul encourage the church to do? As they come to the table, what's his encouragement? You ready? To come with a right heart. And he says we get there by examining our hearts. You ever just sat and examined your heart for a little bit? Stopped with all the excuses. Stopped with all the justifying. I woke up at about five this morning and uh, And usually I try not to get up that early on a Sunday. Um, I like to need some sleep, right? I I don't, I don't, I don't like going without sleep. We went to bed just a little bit late, and I woke up at five this morning, just getting ready for the shower, just thinking through today and praying for you guys. and, And unprovoked by myself, man, I just went through about an hour of just sitting there examining my heart this morning. And honestly. Man, I cried before the Lord. And I, and I remember thinking, why, why, is this, why is this even happening? And I remember, well, I'm preaching about that today. But it wasn't, provo- the Spirit of God in me just, and you stop before I even preach this. And he forced it on me this morning. And man, I tell you what, the joy that it is to when I examine my heart And man, there's some stuff in there I don't like. Doesn't honor him. The joy it is to go from examining to God forgiving is an incredible joy. And Paul calls the church, examine your heart. I, I love the psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 23. He cries out, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way that is everlasting. Man, think of this. God knows you. He knows the inclination of your heart. He knows the loftiness or the depths of your thoughts and he loves you anyway. Why not call out to him who created our heart to examine our heart and to come before him and say, God, if there's any way in me, if there's any sin, if there's any attitude, if there's any apathy, if there's any wrong way, if there's any divisiveness in me, if there's any bitterness or unforgiveness in me, God, search me and try me, you know me. I don't want any of it. When was the last time you examined your heart, church? You see, when we come to the table, the invitation to examine our hearts is there. It's on the table. You know, let's just stop what we're doing right now. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes with me real quick. Why don't we pray this scripture back to the Lord? Anthony, I don't know how to have a, an effective prayer life. You know what I find great joy in just praying scripture back to the Lord? Why don't you pray this for me? Let's pray together. Father, Father, You know me, you know my heart, you know my thoughts. Oh God, would you search me? God, would you try me? And Lord, through your spirit, if there is any evil or wickedness, Father, if there's any sin, if there's any way in me that doesn't honor you, God, would you bring it to light? Would you forgive me? Would you clean me up? And God, through repentance, I will walk away from it. And I run to you this morning. Lead me in a way that's everlasting. And Father, I know that is life in you. Thank you for meeting us at the table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 teaches us, we come to the table with a right heart, but hear me, we also come to the table to remember and to rejoice. Look in verse 24, as he holds up the bread, he reminds us that we do so in remembrance of Jesus. As he holds up the cup, we do so in remembrance to Jesus. So as we come to the table this morning, we remember and we rejoice. Hey, can I, can I tell you something? Some of you are like, Anthony, I, I don't have much to rejoice about. Anthony, I've lost my rejoicing. Hey church, can I remind you that sometimes you have to remember before you can rejoice. Sometimes you gotta stop and you gotta remember before you can ever rejoice. And I'm gonna tell you something, and you try me on this. Remembering Jesus always produces joy, always produces joy. I asked Aaron to, to, to bring these today and these right here are our wedding album and an album that my wife made at the, at the birth of our children. And uh, just kinda just celebrating their birth and all the memories and, uh, and I'm gonna start first with our, our wedding album and I, I love this thing. Um, there's pictures in it of our, our church, man, Liz Key, Um, decorated that place up. I mean, North Pole couldn't look better what we had going on there, right? And it was just, it was Christmas and it made much of Jesus. And we got pictures of our invitation. There's my my beautiful bride right there. I'm telling you, the most beautiful thing in all of creation right there, 11 years ago. And I look through this and I remember the day. My stomach turns in that nervous kind of way when I remember the, the nervousness of that day and, I just, it was one of the greatest days of my life. And every so often my girls will get this wedding album and they'll begin to look through it and, and ask questions and see what we, what we look like and what we were doing. And just, we love sitting down looking through it. And I love doing that. And, and I, I think of not only our wedding album, but we have books here and it's about the birth of our kids. Like this is my little boy Bennett. And, and I got pictures in here and, and he was just born a year ago. He's our latest edition, right? And he was born a year ago. And honestly, I don't know if any other dad ever struggles with this. Like I love all my kids, but when they're first born and they come home, I have to love them. Here's what I mean. I don't know the kid. All they do is eat and they drink and they cry and then they do stuff in their diaper and then they do it all over again. But when I wanna sleep, they don't and so, Me and my kids have had this relationship early on where I'm like, mom, love them. Just love on them. But then something happens. They stop being so dependent on mama and they realize they got a dad. Just like my boy here, Bennett, you know what happens when I come home? Whatever he's doing usually has a ball in his hand. He stops and drops whatever he's doing, throws his arms up, waddles and runs to me and screams dad the whole way, right? That's when I love my kids. That's when it's the goods and I love them the whole time but it sure helps. But I look at my kids and I think, man, how much I remember these days, the moment they were born, all of them. I look to my wife and I look to my kids and I go, Aaron, 11 years ago, we were married. And I love you far more today than I even knew I could then. And we've lived so much of life together. Done got four kids and two dogs, a couple mother-in-laws. And, and we, listen, we have lived through a lot of life together. And I love her far more today than I even did back then. I look at my kids, my seven-year-old Avery. We've done so much of life. And I love her far more than I ever knew I could then. Even my one-year-old boy. Gosh, I didn't know I could love a little boy so much. And so when I go back and I look at these memories and I see the difference my wife and my kids have made in my life, it allows me to remember in such a way that every time I see these pictures, I rejoice. When we come to this table, we are called to remember and I think of it this way. When, when I remember Jesus, and I remember the cross that he took, that he endured, I remember uh, an empty grave, an empty tomb. I think about how much I love him more today than the day that I met him. I begin to think about all that he's done, the difference he's made in my life. Upon such memories, I have nothing left but that of rejoicing and worship and adoration of him. And as we come to this table, that's what it does. We come to this table to remember and to rejoice and upon every remembrance of Jesus' church, we are left with hearts and lives that are filled with joy that not even the devil himself can take away. We remember the body of Jesus that was crushed and crucified on the cross. We remember the blood of Jesus that was spilt, that was shed so that you and I could know forgiveness of our sin. We come to this table with a right heart We come to this table this morning to remember and to rejoice and we come to this table ready. Look at verse 26 as we close. For wherever you eat this bread and drink, whenever you eat of it, whenever you drink of it, whenever you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim his death. You know what that means? When you and I come to this table this morning with a right heart, when you and I come to remember and we rejoice, when you and I come ready, we preach a sermon. A sermon of the gospel of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world to anybody who would believe. We echo the prayer of Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, what's amazing is when we come to this table, we do so anticipating the coming of Jesus, but we also do so eagerly, working to tell everyone we know of his first coming so that they too could come to this table and sit with Jesus, to love on him, to grow in him. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? I'm serious, if it would happen at the final amen of this service today, do you know that he would come for you? Do you know that you're his? Do you know that he saved you? That he's changed your life, that he lives in you? Hear me church, before you should concern yourself with coming to this table, Oh, you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. Hey, church family, are you ready for the Lord to come? Are you anticipating it? Yesterday I watched in horror as people teamed outside of a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Children and families Killed by senseless acts of cowardice men who at the very heart of who they are have bought into evil. And I think, even so, Lord Jesus, come. I wake up this morning and another shooting takes place in Ohio. And I think, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And I don't know when he is going to come, but I tell you what church, when he does come, I pray that he finds me fighting the good fight that he has called me to do. I pray that he finds you and I running the race that he has marked out for us. I find, I pray that he finds us faithfully telling people, of a first coming where he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I pray that when we come to this table, we do so ready for the coming of the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to these tables. Not this table. This is my table. Okay, Don't touch nothing on here. That banana pudding's touched. We have a sniper up there. I got sitting there watching. No, no, not this table. But the tables that surround this room, just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come. You know what we're gonna do? Our worship team's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in, in some worship during that time. And that's different for a lot of people. Why, why is it just solemn and, and silent and things like this? Well, in Matthew chapter um, 26, verse 30, in this very context of this time, the Bible says that at that meal, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount Olives from there. And then the whole last hours of Jesus' life took place. It's not original idea with Connect Church. We just found that if it was important enough for them to sing in the Last Supper, it's probably something we could do to worship and to focus our heart on Jesus. So our, our team's gonna come and they're gonna begin to lead us out in worship. And we find this at this communion table today. We celebrate, we commit. And we champion the gospel church. Hear me at this table today. Selfishness comes to die at this table. We find the death of division and the birthplace of unity at this table. We leave here unified in the mission to show and to proclaim the love of Christ and his soon return at this table we draw our attention to the head of this table, to the head of this church, to the head of our hearts and our lives, and that is Jesus. At this table, we find hope. At this table, we find peace. At this table, we find healing. And at this table, we find joy because at this table, we meet with Jesus. At this table, you ready? We put the enemy on notice. Not today. Not today, devil. Not today. At this table, we come, we sit with Jesus, we love on Jesus together. ran across an old story from an old Nigerian missionary. He had heard of a of an African town that four towns that used to be at war were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. He said, I gotta be there. And so as he went to these villages, he went over and he began to see this mass crowd of people from four different towns coming together. And he watched as a man stood up from one of the villages and let me read you his words. As the man stood, he said, This, I cannot tell you the gladness that is in my heart today. As I walked along the path with the other members from my town, I saw that each man held in their hands a Bible and a songbook. He says, No man carried a sword or a gun, no man walked with fear, every man with faith in Jesus. And yet it is but four years ago that no man from my town would have walked through your town without a sword or a gun in his hand. And even then he would not have walked alone. Nor would any man from your town have come unarmed to ours. And he asked the crowd, what is the reason for this difference? He told them, even four years ago, we worshipped the same gods as you did. And he made this statement. But today, we worship the same God as you do. But the God we worship today is the God of peace, the Prince of peace, Jesus. We have learned, the man went on to say, that he is our Father and that you are our brothers and our sisters. I love that story because the people came to the table. A warring people came together to the table and brought about the greatest community ever created, the church, the church. And I begin to think this is what happens when we come to the table together. Hey Christian, you ready? It's an invitation to put down your sword. To come unarmed and that you and I would come together to love on Jesus and grow in Jesus together And as we leave this table to do so unified in heart and in mission ready to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so this morning we come to the table with a right heart This morning we come to this table to remember and to rejoice. And this morning we come to the table ready for Jesus to come again and busy doing his work until he does. Can we pray together? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.